This is God's word. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, God, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a way that we don't fully understand, you are here in this room. And you have something to give to us, something to say. God, would you do your work in us? However imperceptibly, move us, change us, teach us, heal us, draw us to yourself. God, you know us inside and out. You know everything about us. You know where we are. And some of us come here today skeptical, angry, worried, some of us are filled with joy, filled with fear. God, use your word and your spirit to move us so that we can begin to see just how much we need you, just how broken we really are. But at the same time, allow us to feel your gaze upon us, your hand upon us your incredible grace pouring into our lives because you love us so dearly. Thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Last week, Mark finished Revelation 21, the last chapter of the Bible. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. No more pain or tears or death. And Jesus, the lamb who was slain, is at work even now, renewing all things through his resurrected body. That's us, the church. And the story is told in this incredibly fast-paced, breakneck-paced book called Acts. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but scholars call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit 
And so we're going to talk about that today. God's Spirit is behind and in every page of this incredibly dramatic book. Uh, there's some words that are used somewhat interchangeably in the verses right before the ones that we are looking at today. Uh, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. We're just going to call it God's Spirit today. And if I ask a question, that's pretty much going to be the answer. So just say God's Spirit to any question I ask. Is that okay? Good job. You guys are awesome. Um, this, this passage seems a little bit mundane uh, about this little visit they had in the city of Philippi, but it's really an incredible turning point in the history of the church and the history of the world. It shows us how God's Spirit is at work in a sin-sick world, the one that Mark described last week. And I want to say that God's Spirit is a masterful surgeon who alone has the power and the care and the skill to do the kind of soul surgery we need to transform us and indeed the whole cosmos. So it's amazing how this pans out in the book of Acts. So at a, at a fast pace, I'm going to give you an overview of what happens in Acts before now. So there's some snapshots. I'm going to go through them really quick. Luke says that his first book, Luke, was the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so now he's writing about the church. And he says, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. And then he quotes Jesus. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. I always imagine that scene. Like the disciples are, are listening, kind of half listening, and Jesus is saying, uh, you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, and they're thinking, yeah, yeah, Jerusalem, Judea, that's, that makes sense, nice neighborhoods. <clears throat> and then Jesus is rising up and he's like, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. <laughs> he's like, books it out of there. And they're like, wait, what? Samaria? Wait, did he just say Samaria? Yeah, that's got to be a mistake. Jesus. Jesus? Hey, Jesus, he's gone. Like, did he just say that? Was he kidding? The ends of the earth? What are you? you got to be joking. Well, that's what they did. So Acts 1 through 7, they're in Jerusalem. Then persecution breaks out. So where do they go? God's spirit. That was the end. Remember? <clears throat> Okay, come on, wake up the person next to you. They went to Jerusalem, and then they went to Judea and Samaria, and then in Acts 13, they start going to the ends of the earth. They start going far away, part, partly because of persecution. They're driven out, so they got to go. And we're going to be in Acts 16, when they take a really surprising turn, and they go into Europe for the first time ever. Did you know that? This little story that we have, this is the first time the gospel goes to Europe, and who, who are they sent by? The God's Spirit, yes. The helper that Jesus promised to send them in Acts 1 shows up in Acts 2. So you might know that crazy story when they're, they're praying together, they're also hiding, but they're also praying, and God shows up, and there's wind and fire, and they start speaking in other languages, and all the people understand them in their own language, and other people say they're drunk, and 
Peter's like, they're not drunk, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And it's a nutty day, and then Peter stands up, this uneducated fisherman, and he starts preaching, and 3,000 people join him, they jump in the river, and then they devote themselves to listening to the apostles teach, they pray together, they start sharing everything they have, and it's nuts. In Acts 4, there's a turning point. They're arrested and jailed, and they're threatened. So the leaders take them and they say, okay, okay. Um, they did all these miracles, and they said, okay, we'll let you go if you promise to stop teaching in Jesus' name. That's all you got to do, just stop teaching in Jesus' name. And they said, no, we're going to keep doing that. And the, and the authorities are like, well, then just go. Get out of here. Then stop that. What are we going to do? The, the guy, they, they just, the, the God, they're all praising God. All the people are praising God because the guy they healed was over 40 years old. That's what they did in those days. When they said 40 years old, they whispered because that was really old. <laughs> they healed this guy that was 40 years old. What are we going to do? All the people think they're from God. So they just let him go. And then there's a lot of highlights. They blew everyone's minds because they shared all their stuff. No one was hungry in their group. They were beaten, jailed several times. They were released from jail by a couple angels, by an earthquake. Uh, the jailer came to be a believer uh, because they didn't leave. They said, we're still here. One of them got stoned to death while he was preaching. That was Stephen. And uh, persecution broke out, so they all scattered. And the guy who was chasing them down was a, a bad dude named Saul. He was blinded by a vision of Jesus, and his eyes were opened. Yes, he was blinded, and his eyes were opened. The eyes of his heart were opened. So then he joined the movement, became Paul, the one who was used by whom? God's Spirit. God's Spirit. To bring the gospel, where? To the ends of the earth. God's Spirit. Good job, Justin. <laughs> to the ends of the earth by God's Spirit. That's right. And so in Acts 14, we're almost up to our story in Acts 16. In Acts 14, you've got to hear this though. In the city of Lystra, they healed a guy who was disabled, the people started worshiping them. They thought they were Zeus and Hermes. They started calling them Zeus and Hermes. And, uh, and Paul, Paul and Silas are like, no, 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 we're just men like you. Don't, don't worship us. Worship the one who made you and us and, and everything. And uh, then some other folks who were kind of strict religionists showed up and they turned the people against them. And so then they started stoning him. So they go from, oh, we're worshiping you, to, oh, give me a stone, and I'm throwing a stone at you. People are so fickle. That's kind of uh, evidence that the world is sick, isn't it? People kind of change their minds and run after this and that. They're, oh, we love you, we hate you, we're going to stone you. So they stone Paul, they drag him out of the city, and they leave him there for dead, and his follower or his friends gather around him and then he gets up and he walks back into the city. Good, good choice, Paul. He goes right back. And then he goes to the next town. They, they preach there, a whole bunch of new followers. And then they go back, right back to the city where he was stoned so that he can encourage the new believers there in Lystra. A lot of crazy stuff happened. There was a a vision that Peter had. 
that brought him to the Gentiles. He went to Cornelius, a Roman general. So much crazy stuff happened. And now we get to our story. Here they go with their plan. Well, one of the things that Paul did when he was in Lystra, he went back at the leading of whom? God's Spirit. Spirit, Because he wanted to get a helper. And he got this helper right before our story starts. This helper is Timothy. And Timothy, the only thing it says about him was that he was a man of good character and he was multi-ethnic. He was mixed ethnicity. And so they're about to go to this cosmopolitan, multi-ethnic city, and they're going to bring a multi-ethnic minister. Good idea. So here they go with their plan, and their plans are frustrated. They're prevented from going where they plan to go with this little missionary group by God's Spirit. Two different doors are closed, and they find themselves... Uh, on, in a sea, on, on the sea, and not, not having a direction to go except over the ocean. And Paul gets this vision that we read about. A man from Macedonia. That's in Europe. It's across the ocean. It's a, a narrow strait, but it takes him a couple days to sail across. And this vision, the man says, come and help us. So, the word in the original language is a desperate cry to run to help. And uh, hurry up, it's like they're saying, this, this vision is saying, hurry and help us. So, of course, they conclude they must go there to preach the gospel. Because when people ask you to hurry up and help them, what they really want is for you to go and preach to them. Right? You guys awake still? It's funny how it is in our culture. We go to great lengths to assure people that we're not preaching to them. Right? But you, you know, usually you say, um, I'm not going to preach to you. <laughs> I would never do that. Then what comes next? But, <laughs> but I do have some things to say. Um, he's going to preach the gospel. So remember the gospel... What is the gospel? It's not a set of precepts. It's news about something that happened. That's what Paul is sharing. Hey, hey, all you people, Jesus died. He was obedient to death on a cross, paying the price you deserve to pay for your selfish disobedience. So you could be raised just like Jesus was and live the life that he was supposed to live that he deserved, fully forgiven and deeply loved by the one who made you. That's the gospel news that they were sharing. And that's the same good news that comes to us today through God's word and his spirit. Paul and his friends are constantly being turned one way or another. And they have all kinds of obstacles. There's a list somewhere in the epistles about how many times Paul is beaten with rods, shipwrecked, bitten by a viper. He shakes it off into the fire and, and the people stand around waiting for him to die and he doesn't die so they don't know what to do. But they seem pretty immune to obstacles. 
Why? Because they're in tune with God's Spirit. I like to say that God doesn't smack his forehead. (laughs) Oh, no. What are we going to do now? Obstacles. He doesn't do that. Do you? I know I do. Constantly. Ah, traffic. (laughs) Ah. Uh, So many things. My phone died again. My head is very smackable. (laughs) It's got that nice slappy sound. Do you do that? Do you get frustrated? Ah, my boss! Ah. Why? Why do I have to deal with these people? There's head smacks and then there's stabs in the gut. Right? Cancer? Cancer? Yeah. Right. You get that phone call in the middle of the night. There's flat out pain. Daddy's moving out. There's abuse and death. And we can't move. How can you take a step when you're paralyzed by pain? The only way is by releasing all of it to the one who can take it, who's shown he can take it, the one who has taken it, all the pain and sorrow, the one that we celebrate here today in whom death is swallowed up in victory. Paul's in tune with the spirit of that Christ on the cross. And so he says, all these things that happened to me have happened in order to advance the gospel. So at this moment, when they go across that water, Western history was changed. Christianity came to Europe. Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke were sent across the water to the city of Philippi where they crashed a woman's Bible study. And Lydia became the first European Christian. They found the Bible study because Jewish law said you could not have a synagogue with less than 10 men. And so, if you had less than 10 men, you're supposed to find a place outside the city near the river, near water, and have a prayer meeting. And so they kind of knew that's what they were looking for. Who's, who are the God worshipers who are in this city who are going to be praying by the water. So that's how they found them. And there they were, and there's Lydia, a single businesswoman. It doesn't say uh, whether she's a widow or not. There's speculation. But the Bible is interesting in that what it doesn't say, it doesn't mean to say. In other words, in the culture of this time, it would be vitally important to know who what her marital status was and who, what man was taking care of her or, uh, or controlling her. Um, but it's not in this story because that's not important. What was important was that she was there and she was listening. She was a wealthy businesswoman dealing in very valuable purple dye. It was used in the official Roman togas. And the thing about Philippi is that it was a Roman colony. 
uh, it was far away from Rome, but it was a Roman colony. Because a hundred years earlier, there had been a great battle, and the dudes who had stabbed Julius Caesar, so that was Cassius and Brutus, lost the battle to some other dudes, I can't remember right now, Octavius, who became Augustus Caesar, right? And um, the city was named after Philip, who is the father of Alexander the Great. Kind of a, kind of a cool history, but... What happened was, as a reward for help during that war, um, the, the Caesar made Philippi a Roman colony, far away from Rome. It was like a little bit of Rome away from Rome, right there. And that becomes important. Uh, it was kind of a, a measure of pride for their city. They were all Roman citizens, so they had some privileges and some rights. And here's Lydia, and there she is. She was wealthy. She had her own large home. She's a God worshiper. But apparently her life of wealth, independence, respect as a businesswoman, leadership wasn't enough to fulfill her. And she responded to the idea that there was a God who must be worshipped. Even with Jews who didn't value her leadership as a woman, uh, the rabbis had a saying, in fact, it is better that the words of the law be burned than be delivered to a woman. That doesn't seem fair. But in the middle of that culture, Paul comes with the gospel. And he writes, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Alexander, generations before, had been encouraged to enslave certain people in that city. And he said, no, God sent me to be a reconciler between all people. So maybe God's spirit was at work through Alexander all those generations before to prepare this multi-ethnic city for the entrance of the gospel. And spoiler alert, Lydia and a few other women uh, are mentioned by name later as powerful leaders in that church. And the church started at that moment, uh, became an example and a support uh, for Paul later on when he was imprisoned and uh, when other folks in Jerusalem were, were in poverty. This poor church, it was actually a very poor church in Philippi, uh, gave so generously that they were mentioned several times. Their hospitality and love became famous. And you can see in this story that it started right away with Lydia. As soon as God opened her heart, she showed her hospitality. Her whole family was baptized, and she said, come and stay with me. Now, let's talk about that word open. The Lord opened her heart. What did Lydia do? Did she open her heart? Who opened her heart? Lydia didn't do much. She showed up and she listened. Even showing up, she was drawn by the work of God's Spirit. She was humbled by the Spirit. She listened. And God's Spirit opened her heart to the gospel. 
That word opened is significant. There's two different Greek words that you can use. And uh, Paul uses, uh, Luke uses one, one of them. One of them means opening a door like something that has a latch that you can open. The other means to break open something that has no way in, something more like a mountain, as in the mountain was opened with the tunnel. Uh, something that has layers and layers that have to be broken through. And that's the word that Luke uses. What he's saying is that the natural human mind and heart and soul, until the Holy Spirit gets to it, is spiritually blind, covered over with many layers. Think of a cataract. A cataract is layers of clouding up that develops on the eye over time. And I could probably get a better definition uh, on that. But uh, you need the skill of a surgeon to remove a cataract. You can't wash it out or rub it out or work on it yourself. You need a professional. And it's debilitating. Uh, It blinds you. You can't see. Layers of haze and clouds that prevent us from really seeing Maybe there's a sense that Lydia has what all human beings have, a cataract on her soul. And those layers that prevent us from really living the way that we were made to live. So we have a dog. He's a pug. His name is Duke, and he's very large. It's, it's hard to describe him if you haven't seen him, but he's... Uh, he looks like a pug that swallowed another pug. He's very, he's, he's huge. Someone said that he looks like a cinder block with fur. That's pretty accurate. He's about that size. He's getting older and uh, he can't see well. So we clean his eyes and we put ointment on them, but he's starting to bump into things and it's pretty sad. It's kind of funny too, but um, he gets lost inside the house. So he's... He just kind of walks around until he bumps into something, and then he backs up and walks until he bumps into something else. And uh, he, he, gets, he goes in the corner, and he like, scratches to go out, but he's not at the door. He's in the corner. So it's kind of pitiful. But I, I've seen him uh, you know, get lost behind the toilet. And he's, he's like in behind the toilet scratching to get outside the house. Duke, there's no door there. Um, he's been eating the cat food lately, and I, I can't decide if, he's, if that's because he's blind or he's just ravenous. I don't know. But um, maybe you can get where this, go, this is going. You know, maybe, have you found yourself there kind of bumping into things and trying, trying something out? Um, try another direction. Oh, this... This relationship didn't work. Uh, I'll try this one. Maybe this new career will be fulfilling, uh, ingesting things that might not be good for you, uh, exposing yourself to cat food. I don't know. Um, Like a cataract, you can't rub it out, wash it out, or work on it yourself. You can't get rid of it and see clearly. Without surgery, 
soul surgery, from a soul surgeon to break through those layers, illuminate the mind-blowing truth that you're made in the image of God and the one who made you loves you fiercely. All of his attention is on you, laser-focused on you, and he looks at you with love and acceptance, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he did. And he doesn't stop with you. He invites you to something even bigger. To join his work of renewal in the world. And that's what Acts is all about. That's what inspired Paul and his friends. God's spirit has been preparing people to hear. And peeling away layers to open the cataracts on their hearts. Sometimes over the course of years. There's a little quote in the worship guide. I'm just going to read it from F.B. Meyer. Do not always be looking out for signs and manifestations from marked experiences. We do not notice the lines of longitude and latitude as we cross the ocean of life. Without knowing it, your character may be in the process of transfiguration. By insensible gradations, the work of God may be proceeding in your heart. The tide is rising daily by tiny wavelets that appear to recede as fast as they advance. Do not measure progress by experiences. Only be yielded to God and let him do his will. God's spirit is at work. Even over the course of years, even when people are openly questioning or hostile, You know, all questions and hostility are welcome in here uh, because it's not our deal. Whose deal is it? God's Spirit. Who allows you to feel dissatisfied even when, like Lydia, everything seems to be going great? God's Spirit. Who uses circumstances to maneuver you onto his surgeon's table without you knowing it? I know for me, I was stubborn. Uh, in my 20s, I reached a place where I believed, but I was scared of the implications of fully committing to God. So I kind of put it off. And partly because of stubbornness. I didn't want anyone else telling me what to do. And I wanted to return to God in my own time, in my own way. Uh, I was stubborn. <laughs> Did I say was? Um, God enticed me back to him through my own stubbornness. He's tricky. Someone said they were going to pray for me every day, and I was like, very skeptical. I was like, yeah, right, you liar. <laughs> but, then I, but then I thought, all right, then I'm going to pray every day. <laughs> this is true. And, and I did, and... Every, every day for a month. Not, not every day, but every day for a month. And I did. I prayed every day for a month. And that was the turning point in my life. God started to do that cataract surgery on my soul that month. And, uh, and I needed that, and I still do. Lydia did not open her heart to the Lord. God's Spirit opened her heart to receive it. And then her whole family was baptized 
as a sign of the soul surgery that God's Spirit had done in her. And Paul recognizes who did the work. He, he wrote, He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God's Spirit does the attracting, the, the surgery, and the call then to join. And it's not up to us to do anything but be available. And you might be skeptical, and that's, that's cool, but you're here, right? That might be something. Paul says these obstacles have served to advance the gospel. One way is that when Paul was thrown into prison in uh, Rome, in Caesar's own house, he was being held to, to make sure he didn't go anywhere. Caesar sent his best men in and they had to chain themselves to Paul for six-hour shifts. What do you think that did? Who, who did that? <laughs> God's Spirit did, right? Uh, Paul, Paul writes in one of his letters, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's own household. Get it? One by one, they're chained to Paul for six hours. They can't escape the soul surgery <laughs> that the Holy Spirit is doing. And Caesar's own house is changed. Little by little by little. And something that Paul himself didn't, couldn't recognize was that the, the most amazing thing that he did in his life was what? Not God's spirit. It's a different, different question. He wrote half of the New Testament. When? While he was in prison. He wrote that. God's spirit did that. And it wouldn't have happened if he wasn't in prison. And Luke uh, writes Acts, and the, and the book of Acts doesn't have an end. Did you know that? He didn't, he didn't finish it. It's kind of hanging there because, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit continues. It's intended to be unfinished. It's still being written, maybe by you and me. Maybe like Lydia, God has opened your heart and you've responded you're wondering how God may want to use you to join him in his work to reach others. There was a story in the Old Testament where Elisha, the prophet, was going into battle and his servant is uh, really scared and saying, oh, this isn't going to work out well. We're outnumbered. And Elisha says this in 2 Kings. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open, same word, Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Yeah, that's where that comes from. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> chariots of fire all around Elisha. The battle that you're in, whatever it is right now, God's Spirit is in it with you. And He has chariots of fire. If you're wondering if you're going to be able to do anything in this battle, let it go. He's got you. Ask Him to open your eyes and break through 
your heart to see that he's got it. That the work he did on the cross has accomplished it. And that you can join him. Let's pray. God, reveal your will to us. Teach us how to listen. Teach us how to set aside our own fear and our own desire to take care of everything. God, rescue us from the the horror of pain that's all around us. by allowing us to see that you you took the deepest pain of the world on your cross so that we can live with opened minds, hearts, souls, and spirits to what you have done, what you will do, what you continue to do, And God, open our hearts so that we can join you and pray this prayer. Oh, stir me, oh, stir me, Lord, till all my heart is filled with compassion for those who are lost, until your compelling love drives me to pray and follow your leading, not counting the cost. Amen.